Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. If you put your pants on one leg at a time, would a pair of pants mean you have four legs? Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast made for you 18 and over only. 18 and over only, so if you're under 18, hey, come back on your 18th birthday. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is Tuesday night. So tonight in Pipe Parts, we're going to talk about rusticated pipes. Yeah, that finish that we all love, rustication. Uh, my guest tonight is pipe maker Brian McNulty. And then we've got mailbag. we got music from uh, Dizzy Gillespie because it's been a while since we've had some older music on. And a mailbag and a rant. All that coming up on a fall edition of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, did I mention that uh, it's fall? Yeah. Guess what? We had our first couple of really cool mornings. Yeah, down into the 30s. So that means that it's time to get the jeans out and keep them out permanently because the fall weather's here. Uh, went to put some of my jeans on and normally my wintertime heavy jeans are yeah, kind of loose when I start to put them on. Well, apparently I didn't um, sweat off as much as I thought I did during the summertime or... All this travel lately has uh, got me uh, bloated up, or perhaps somebody has actually shrunk my pants. Yeah, that could be it. Somebody has shrunk my pants. Now, I don't I don't want to think of it as a uh, belly down there, just the, the fact that I'm very low-chested, but apparently I'm going to have to start, uh, start watching that a little bit, because my pants don't fit, and uh, Lord knows I don't really want to be going out and buying a bunch of new jeans right now, because... It's fall and peak prices for them. So there you go. All right, let's get the show going. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the fine folks at the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan. 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. 
quality products and extraordinary prices. If the number of pipes you own outnumbers the pair of shoes in your wife's closet, you might be a pipe collector. If your pipes are included in your will, you might be a pipe collector. Welcome back. All right, and I'll add to that, if you've listened to your favorite episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show more than once, you are definitely a pipe collector. And we'll replay a few more of those bits throughout the rest of tonight's show, so keep listening for those. All right, in just a few minutes, Brian McNulty will be on the phone with me, but in the meantime, I want to talk about rustication. We all know that there's three basic finishes to pipes. They're smooth, sandblast, and rusticated. Uh, smooth is obviously a smooth finish, sanded and polished, sanded and polished. Sandblasted is when a pipe maker uses a sandblasting cabinet and blasts it with sand or other mediums using air pressure and kind of working with the grain and gets that great grainy look that we like. Well, rustication is kind of the last-ditch effort to save a, save a piece of wood. I want to say it. Let's call it. Let's call it that. So what I've done is I've posted a picture on the radio show's page of four of my personal pipes, and they are from top to bottom. Is a Brigham Voyager. It's actually that's a concept pipe for a shape that we were working on. Then below that is a Tom Eltang rusticated bamboo poker. Below that one is one of my Sassini family era patent billiards. And on the bottom is a Costello Sea Rock. All four of those are rusticated pipes. Why do they rusticate them? Well, the pipe itself may have a big pit in it that the company didn't feel like they'd be able to use to, to put a fill in. In some pipe companies' cases, they don't use fills at all. Or there wasn't enough grain in the pipe, in the piece of wood. The briar was kind of bald. So... You rusticate it instead of sandblasting it because a sandblasted pipe with uh, a sandblasted pipe without any grain just kind of looks a little goofy. Now, what I want you to take take and pay attention to on this picture is there are dramatically different styles of rustication. Uh, in the Brigham Voyager line, our rustication is a very soft version that's chiseled out by hand using a chisel, so rusticating is very labor intensive. It's not the cheapest way to do this, but rustication, the rusticating process that we use with our factories is a little chisel, and the idea is to just go around and dimple the pipe evenly, and of course working out that area that was bad in the first place. So you dimple it, and our idea is that it should look somewhat like a golf, uh, like a golf ball. Tom Eltang has his very distinctive style of rustication where he carves those ribs on the front and back of the bowl, and then on the side he comes back after it with some sort of a tool and makes what looks like the bird's eye, so it represents a cross-grain appearance. Uh, he could turn it any way he wants to, it's just how he sees that block of wood working out for him. Below that, the Sassini. Sassini had the, had a, has a very, a very unique uh, style of 
rusticating. It's kind of like that wire brush thing where they look in the pipe and try to find where the grain was and work those channels out. And on the sides where the bird's eye is, they go in and do little knobbies. And again, it's very distinctive, classically done uh, Savinelli, uh, or I'm sorry, classically done Sassini. Some of the other styles of rusticating that we've talked about in the past, like Brackner, if you look at some of the high-end Kent Rasmussens, they have a unique, distinctive style of rusticating where it gives kind of like that really high-gloss pebble sheen that looks like almost like a uh, like an eel skin or a like a, a what is it a, a stingray skin like you'd see on boots. Uh, finally, down below on the bottom of the picture is one of my old Costello Sea Rocks. And the Sea Rock process, you can see, is similar to what Tom Eltang does, where there's actually two colors of stain put on the pipe first. And then the pipe is rusticated, and they've created a unique tool that is 100% unique to Costello to dig out that pattern and create what looks like a coral from the bottom of the ocean. So that's why they call it a Sea Rock. All it does really is it scars up the edge of the pipe, takes off some of the weight of the pipe, covers up where the blemish might have been on the pipe, but it's all done by hand with a handmade tool in the Costello factory. Uh, I believe if you Google search on, uh, or if you search on YouTube for a tour of the Costello pipe factory, you'll actually see one of the guys trying to do the rustication, and you'll see where they hand that tool over to somebody who's never tried it before. And you'll see how difficult it really is. Uh, Costello, I'm sure, and Sassini, all those guys have their own briar curing processes that are unique to them. But again, the rustication process is unique to them as well. So there's a couple of examples of why we rusticate and how rustication looks completely different. Uh, maybe sometime in the future we'll talk about sandblasting and stain stuff. So, all right, stay with us. In just a few minutes, uh, recently met pipe maker Brian McNulty. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutlifeTobacco.com. Go to SutlifeTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining me now, no, it's not an echo, but it is another Brian. It's Brian McNulty of Anima Pipes. Brian, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. See, and you even spell your name right. With an I. 
Yeah. The correct way, just like you. Yeah. All right, so tell everybody, yeah. besides the fact that we know you make pipes, where are you from, where did you grow up, all that fun stuff. I am a California local, uh, born and raised in Santa Monica, California, and grew up in Culver City, where I'm locally based, where I have my shop. And... Uh, Pretty much been here my whole life, with the exception of living in Nevada for one year. And then, well, missed home and came back. So, despite the high tobacco tax and the anti-smoking here, I still call it home. <laughs> and what did, you, uh, what did you originally want to be when you grew up? Which, I'm not sure if that's happened yet, but when you... <laughs> before pipe you know, making. Uh, before pipe making... Pretty much my whole life, to be honest, I had no idea what I wanted to be, what I was going to be. I was kind of groomed, uh, I think, by uh, my mother to, you know, go to school, try to go to college, get a degree in business. And I, I had thought that I was a businessman my whole life until a good friend and mentor to me once uh, revealed to me, you are not a businessman, you're an artist. And it was a great revelation to me, and that started changing things. Now, and uh, when you when, when I did you try any other art forms before pipes? Yes, I was involved in music for many years. So I always loved music from childhood, and um, used to try my best to to sing and be a singer and write songs, and uh, had, had some very very minor minor success with it but uh the the industry kind of turned me off and um i guess my my fate or karma or destiny whatever you want to call it was not that and life changed my direction um and i transized from there into the movie industry for a major uh you know movie company entertainment company here in culver city and um worked there for several years until uh, the pipe caught my attention. All right, wait a second. We how... got we, we got to back up for a second. We'll get back to the pipe here, but you, you sure. first of all, let's drop the name of the studio so that everybody knows because there's not a lot of people that have been to Hollywood and want to know what it. Well, it was yeah, it was uh, Sony Pictures Entertainment, Columbia TriStar Films, and I worked in the international division and uh, doing you know uh, publicity. And uh, it was international publicity. And what kind and, of, uh, uh, what movies were you working with or shows or? Oh, gosh, I mean, the time I was there about seven years and oh, so many films. I started there around the time that Jerry Maguire came out. Show me the money! So everyone probably knows that movie. And <laughs> Oh, God, there's so many uh and then I left about a year or two after they did the Godzilla remake. So, <laughs> uh, even in the time I was there, I saw a lot of changes in the industry, and and uh, slowly started to figure out, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't me either. I'm, I'm uh, I was something else. And, and what kind uh, of what okay. kind of music were you doing? Um, we were. I was playing in a band up in Santa Barbara with my cousin. That was. Uh, well, we called it progressive rock. It was kind of a mix between really musical music like Rush meets very melodic music like Boston or Journey. It was very interesting. So, um, 
It was fun. It was a great time. Was that during all the uh, during the the a the heyday of the hair bands and the glam rock? It was uh, yeah, it was about ninety one. Yeah, somewhere around there, ninety ninety one. And uh, there was yeah, that was uh, a big scene here in Hollywood, you know, on on Sunset Boulevard with all those different hair bands here. But um, that was also the time that. The hair bands were dying, and the Seattle sound, the grunge, was happening. It started yeah. to come up, you know. Um, Kurt Cobain and all that. So that was uh, a transition period. But we, I don't know, we weren't paying attention to the trends. We were just doing what we wanted to do, you know. And it was really fun. All right. So now you've you've uh, now we've gone through the Hollywood music scene and the Hollywood movie scene, and then you start into pipes. Exactly. Gave it all up for pipe making. Can you believe it? I must be a masochist, right? <laughs> or, or extremely happy. One of the one of the two. That, well, that's more like it. You're talking to a absolutely free and happy man. I'm not rich, but I'm free, and I'm happy. And that's something I never had before. When I was at Sony, believe me, you have the money, the perks, a job that probably most younger people or almost any age people would love to have in the movie industry everybody wants to be in that right it's not what they think yeah and i had the you know fancy car and the nice clothes and the everything and was miserable so i actually had an interesting dream and that uh prompted things uh, along with a miserable day at work which I stormed out of the office, walked across the lot to get some fresh air, and smelled a smell that I hadn't smelled since I was a kid. And that smell was one of the carpenters on a break, sitting outside a soundstage, smoking his pipe. And I followed my nose, and when I saw him, he had a look of complete bliss on his face. And I knew it was the pipe that was helping to get him there. And instantaneously, I was like, oh, yeah, I bet you that my mother still had some of my dad's old pipes left since he had passed on years ago. So I called her up when I got back to the office. Sure enough, she had two of his pipes left, and I asked her if I could have them. She said yes, and that afternoon I went to her house, picked them up. The rest is history. (laughs) I was hooked. And I'm going to guess you still have those pipes. I do, yes. So you started and, out. You uh, started out smoking those two pipes. Uh, yep. What kind of tobaccos did you start out with? Well, see, I, that's the one thing where I was lost. I had two very good pipes, um, and um, one of them was is exquisite—a beautiful hand-carved pipe that was actually made by a Folsom prison life termer. Wow back when they used to let inmates do that sort of thing. Uh, And that pipe, I remember the story was, uh, one of my relatives was a a guard there, and uh, the the inmate gave that pipe to him. Well, he didn't smoke, so he gifted it to my father. Uh, My father was a pipe smoker, and my grandfather was a pipe smoker. So it's in my blood, in my family. And my father was also an engineer for Howard Hughes. 
So I, you know, I got the, I guess, a little bit of the engineering and a little bit of the pipe smoking and combine them, and, you know, there you have it. Um, that pipe is, is very, very special to me. Uh, I took it to the original tinderbox in Santa Monica. Which, coincidentally, the original tinderbox is where we met uh, about two yeah, weeks ago. Serendipitously. Yeah. yeah. A great synchronicity. Uh, and um, I took it there. That's where I cut my teeth. I got all my education there. And, um, you know, I knew Ed Colpin very well. And Ed even looked at the pipe and in Ed's old way, anyone who knew him, oh, oh, oh fantastic pipe, great pipe, great pipe. And, um, so then one of the employees that worked there at the time, I bought a barling from him and uh, some mild aromatic tobacco and started that way. And um, I, I guess I only smoked that aromatic tobacco for about two weeks when I couldn't stand the wetness and the tongue bite and immediately transized over into... Englishes, <laughs> wow. and um, needless to say, this day anyone who knows me knows I love Latakia, so I smoke Englishes, Balkans, uh, occasionally of Virginia, but uh, I'm, I'm partial to Latakia. So, so when did the pipe making and the pipe repair and all the other stuff you do start? The pipe making started in well, I actually first got interested when I got interested I started collecting pipes and buying pipes I'm sure as most everybody does and I did that for several years then I started making tampers because they were easy and that's what I could do I was living in a townhouse at the time and I didn't have many tools and uh, the rules of the the townhouse the CCNRs they didn't allow you to do have machines in your garage and work so all I was able to make was some tampers and things like that. Um, then it was about 1997, uh, around 97 or 98, I started, uh, I was looking through a, a, a magazine and I saw a beautiful pipe in the magazine that I loved and it was out of my price range and I'm like, well, I don't think I can afford that, but let me see if I could try to make it or duplicate it. So I bought a kit and carved my first pipe. Um, <laughs> Again, took it to the, the tinderbox, and everybody there was like, wow, you made this, and it's pretty good. You should probably keep doing this. And so I kept on, and, you know, I think I only made one other pipe from a kit and immediately started trying to acquire machines. I moved. I sold my townhouse and moved to a house with a detached garage so I could make a shop and was uh, started making pipes simultaneously while I was still working at Sony for about the next three years until I started doing okay at it and attended all the local shows, went to Chicago, went to some of the bigger shows, traveled all around, started importing Briar, and I was off, you know, to the races. And then shortly thereafter, I, I took a leap of faith and left the security of, of my job, and that was 16 years ago. And this is a, a lot of this is pre-internet, so you had to network and build up a relationship with the buyers, and then use some wholesaling. And... I, I exactly did that, and I had some great mentors, as I mentioned, Ed Colpin yeah. from the Tinder original Tinderbox in Santa Monica, Paul Perry, who is a a, a 
carver from here in California. He's now in Hawaii in his 90s still carving pipes. Yeah. Paul Perry is a the the consummate gentleman and a, it's a privilege and honor to know him and he helped me out a lot. Um but yeah, you're right. Back then it was a lot harder. There was no hardly any uh you know networking and a lot of these things were industry secrets. Where do you get supplies? Where do you get <laughs> rod stock and bits and and you know uh, that information wasn't so easily had uh, as it is now. You know, so I, I I cut my teeth the old-fashioned way, and I like that. And I wish that more people would work that way now, and we have more apprenticeships. You know. Um, Real apprenticeships, not just searching the internet and asking questions of people and this and that. But you know, I I now after 15, 16 years, I now have an apprentice, and uh, his name is Gray, G R E Y, like the color. You'll see his pipes out very very soon, and my God, he's so talented, it's <laughs> insane. We'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about Brian's pipes. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. If you can name every one of your pipes but have to think about your children's names, you might be a pipe collector. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, still visiting with Brian. And you know, during the commercial, I was thinking, that has to be you you running out of your office and running into a guy smoking a pipe has to be the best pipe revelation moment or realization moment I've ever heard. It, it changed my life. It truly, I believe it truly was a, a synchronistic moment that was meant to happen to me. <laughs> and... Um, I, I had neglected to mention when I came, when I followed my nose and followed the scent and saw this man, uh, he, he looked just like Santa Claus. He was sitting in one of those inexpensive old aluminum folding beach chairs, 
outside of this huge uh, set stage. I could only assume there's probably a carpenter or union worker on his break, and he, he was wearing uh, jeans, overalls, a red shirt, and a big white beard smoking like a big bent umpal or something <laughs> and reading a magazine with this blissful look in his eye and a little smile on his face. And he was just in heaven. And I, you know, I, I felt intuitively that, you know, that, that that pipe was helping in some way to get him to that place. And I'm like, I want to be there. <laughs> I want to be where he's at. What a great story. All right, so let's talk about your pipes. Uh, more traditional style, or do you do them all kind of freehandish? Well, let's see. When I started, uh, I was getting some great Calabrian briar when I first started, which the quality of which, for some reason, I can't seem to get my hands on anymore nowadays, which is a shame because if I could, you know, make the pipes uh, to the quality and standard I'm making now out of that wood. Oh, boy, I'd really have something great. But uh, back then I was making, um, they were somewhere in between, a balance between freehands and traditional shapes. In other words, I wasn't making very ornate uh, freehands in, in the way that most people would think that freehands are. Um, and yet I wasn't making traditional shapes. So it was a variant. My influences at the time when I first started were a lot of the Italian carvers. I loved Costello. I loved Luigi Radice, who I had the privilege of meeting some years later at the Chicago show, who was a great man. His son translated for us. We exchanged campers. It was really fun. Um, so uh, Mauricio Tombari of Le Nouvelle Pipes, we used to communicate often together. Um, so those were, you know, my influences. And um, so they were, I, I'd like to consider that they were tasteful, a tasteful mixture between freehands and classic shapes. They were very large <laughs> pipes when I first started. And over the years, my pipes have gotten smaller and smaller. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I used to be making pretty much like uh, an ODA size pipe, for example, or even a little bit larger. And now there may be about a group three and sometimes a two, as we use the, you know, Dunhill size for reference and sizing. So to give you some idea, but, you know, I'll make whatever somebody wants, you know, now. Uh, I've run the gamut. And right now I'm back to more classic shapes. I'm really into billiards right now. So I, uh, as a matter of fact, I just commissioned, I got a commission to make a billiard um, for a client who really loves it and he's, um, part of a new group here in L.A., they just started a new Los Angeles pipe club. That's actually and, meeting uh, right in Los Angeles. Yes, and um, you know what? It's a great group of people. They're all young and enthusiastic, and they're really into it and really trying to be organized and, and you know, professional. And uh, I went to a meeting, and really great time, great, great group of people, so... I hope that they continue and that that uh, it flourishes, you know. We need that here. Now, are your pipes getting smaller and smaller because you can't get as many big blocks of wood, or is it just your style? Mm, well, that, that while that is true, that the wood is not uh, 
it, it's changed <laughs> over the years. And, uh, you know, I, you can still get large blocks. They're out there. But, um, no, mostly it's because of my own preferences and my own style is changing. You know, uh, I don't know. i got to say, if, you, if you're involved in art in any way, you can relate to the fact that your art is constantly changing. You know, if you're a real artist at heart and you're not just, you know, making what the people want, you know what I mean? Like uh, a band could have a really successful album and people will love it and that band may want to, you know, make another three albums just like it. But real artists will change it up 180 degrees and make something completely different next time. Um, Keep pushing and challenging yourself, you know. So what you're making is influenced by what you want to see you do next. Yeah, and it's what I find appealing and what I find comfortable. But see, the thing is, is I used to make pipes like I used to order, you know, gunny sacks full of briar and make pipes all day, every day and have you know, 100 to 150 pipes on hand at any given moment to sell. And I was traveling and doing the shows, and you have to have a lot of pipes on hand. And over the years, I realized that um, after I'd been out there and done a lot of the shows and my name started to get out there, I kind of started to change my modus operandi i started changing the way i worked and now i don't do that anymore now i i make pipes that i feel inspired to make which are very few a year um and most of the pipes i make are commissions someone will come to me and will say i want one of your pipes make anything go for broke great (laughs) some people will come with an idea in mind or you know uh a sketch or something. I, I, I'm really open working with people, and um, I'll make whatever they like. And uh, but most of the pipes now I make on are on commission basis. And you're still doing tampers. You're doing still the tampers. A, the occasional knife set. Yes, I, I do an occasional set with a tamper knife and pipe. I do. Um, Recently came up with uh, two things. I'm making all bamboo pipes. In other words, the bowl is bamboo. The shank is bamboo. Uh, only the bit is lucite or vulcanite. So it's, it's really thick-walled bamboo from uh, Asia, and it does not burn out. It smokes wonderfully. I've sold dozens of these pipes in the last couple months, and I started making them. And they fill a niche in the pipe world because they're very inexpensive. I charge about forty bucks for them. I saw and a so couple of them at uh, yeah, I saw a couple of them yeah. at, at Tinderbox because Robert Vance had them. And then yeah. he, you also gave me a I don't know a bowl cap that a, a pipe cap yeah. that I came up with that have been I, I can't make them fast enough. They're selling like hotcakes, and you know at five bucks a piece or for some exotic ones ten bucks a piece. It's a, it's a cap made out of, I make them out of briar or various exotic hardwoods or stone or deer antler or horn, all kind of materials. I even made one out of a poker chip once for somebody that they wanted. <laughs> and it has a, a tapered cork insert on the bottom, so you put it on the top of your pipe, and even while you're smoking, you can be in the middle of smoking, 
finish half of your bowl and realize, oh, God, i got to get out of here or get back into the office or go in my car. And, uh, you know, what happened to me was I'd get in my car and set my pipe down and start driving. Of course, it tips over. you got ash everywhere. you got smoke. you got mess. I thought there's got to be a solution to this. So I started making these caps, very inexpensive. You know, you can be in the middle of smoking, put it on your top of your pipe, and it puts your pipe out almost immediately. No smoke, no smell, no spilling ash. You get to save the half a bowl of your tobacco and come back to it later without emptying it out. And uh, it, it's just a great thing that was, you know, as they say, a necessity is a mother of invention. And, uh, and they work They about. work really well. Good, good. I'm glad you're yeah. enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, and if people, you know, sometimes, uh, rarely, because people don't like to be away from their, their pipes too long, but someone wants one made to exactly match their pipe, be it carved, sandblasted, rusticated, smooth, stained, not stained. I can make those caps to exactly match your pipe. Uh, so, you know, if you're a stickler about that, I can do those. Otherwise, people use, I'll go to a show or a meeting and I'll have a bag full of them and dump them out on the table. And once people realize what they are, there's a frenzy and people are just grabbing them and they'll, they'll you know, break out their pipes and try and find one that fits their pipes. They don't care what it looks like. They just want one that fits. And, uh, uh, you know, they've been a good seller. Yeah, well, when you're gonna when you're gonna put it on your pipe and then put your pipe in your pocket, doesn't matter what that it looks helps. like. Oh yeah, that helps. <laughs> so yeah, those aside from from pipes, tampers, uh, cigar holders. I make custom briar cigar holders, deer antler cigar holders, in all ring gauges, from anything from a a Perotti dry cure up to a sixty six ring gauge. Um, so I have uh, a lot of people that order custom cigar holders, um, the pipe caps, the, the bamboo pipes. And then six years ago, I started doing repairs and cleanings and refurbishments out of necessity. Um, so that takes up most of my time now. Uh, yeah, because you had so much free time in the first place. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man. It, you know, it, it gives me as much pleasure now, to be honest, uh, as it does to make a pipe and to see someone enjoy it. Uh, I get as much enjoyment out of people bringing me really old pipes that mean something to them, that are heirlooms or that need help, that need to be brought back, that have or have broken, and and they need to be resurrected. You know, and I'll clean them all up and I'll fix them and you know you can see the the joy and relief on the people when they come and pick them up because they mean something to them it's like you know finding a, an old 57 Chevy in a barn somewhere that's rusted in a mess and bringing that back to perfect condition you know it's uh, it's a thing of beauty and I, I love doing that with some of these old pipes what so, is the best way for somebody to get a hold of you Simple. They can call me on my, my main business phone number, which is 310-390-0928. I'm out here in California, but I take pipes from all over the world. People mail me pipes. I have clients all over that mail repairs. I mail them back to them. 
A lot of clients stop by. Um, you can find me online very easily if you just uh, Google my name, Brian McNulty, Anima, A-N-I-M-A, Pipes. Um, mine's the first website that comes up. Uh, or you can email me anytime at uh, R-O-C-K-S-H-R-I at yahoo.com. And uh, be glad to help you with anything you need. So how did you come up with the name Anima? Anima was, um, wow, this is a story now. <laughs> <laughs> Anima is uh, Latin. Um, it's just like the word animal, except no L at the end. Or, as people have heard now, anime, which is like Japanese moving cartoons. Well, anima is Latin for spirit or soul. Uh, that which moves has animation. Literally translated, it means the visible breath of God. Wow. Hey, what a better name for a, a line of pipes, right? Uh, that I did not come up with. There was an employee, um, again, at the, the tinderbox in Santa Monica, that uh, he came up with the name. And knowing me, um, he offered that name up and said, you, you know, hey, what about this? And I thought, man, that is the perfect name for me. Because here's the funny thing. At the time, I didn't want to use my name, Brian McNulty. It sounded kind of... I thought it would be hard for people to remember, you know. Uh, no one's going to remember Brian McNulty. So I wanted a one-word, simple name that people remember, you know, um, like Cher or Prince or, you know, <laughs> one word that everyone knows. Elvis, everyone knows. Okay, Anima, great, they'll remember that. You know? It's interesting. They'll, they'll remember that or they'll mispronounce it and think it's a, another action. It. <laughs> yes, like my very first pipe show where I got teased. I, I offered a pipe to the pipe show to be auctioned off, my very first show, to be auctioned off to generate money for the show. And I thought it was a good move on my part for people to get to know me and put my name out there. And the person, one of the people who was involved with the show, uh, you know, jokingly said, well, we have a pipe here, uh, Anima, Anima, Anima? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody laughed, you know, <laughs> making fun of the name. And I stood up and I said, you know, you still haven't bought one of my pipes. Uh, why don't you buy one? I don't care what orifice you smoke it out of. Just buy one. <laughs> and everybody at the show busted up laughing. And then I was pretty much immediately accepted into the pipe world. It's like, oh, okay, this guy's got a sense of humor. He's okay, you know. And that was kind of funny. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll take a few more minutes because one of the other things that you and I talked about, and it's really fascinating to me, is that you are a... Uh, a highly spiritual person, but not specifically to uh, one denomination or religion. Is that a fair way to say it? That is fair. Um, and that's another reason how Anima came to be. Um, 
the, the salesman at the tinderbox, his name was Aaron, and he no longer works there, but he's, he's off pursuing, hopefully, his true calling. Um, as he got to know me over the years, found out certain things, and I, myself, uh, I'm, I'm part Native American, I'm tribally enrolled uh, Southern Cherokee. So uh, my mother was uh, from Germany, and uh, my dad is uh, Irish and what we call an earth man. And so, um, you know, as I mentioned, he passed away you know, years ago. It's just when I turned 18. So I think he, he would be proud that I'm doing this now in my life and making pipes and using some of that engineering and using his old tools to do it. But uh I, I, for many years, since I was 12 years old, have studied and had a tremendous interest in every religion and spiritual, esoteric, metaphysical practice conceived and known by man. I had a very interesting experience at the age of seven, which let me know that there's more to this life than just what we see in the average, you know, uh, materialistic uh, existence so I, I've, I've been a seeker and I, I as they say seek and you shall find and I have seeked and I have found and uh, I have studied in every everything um, but the major part of my journey was that I for the about the past 25 26 years have been on what we call the red road and the Red Road is the way that a indigenous person, um, it's a walk of life, a way of life, which includes, uh, you know, spiritual belief and the way that you live your life. And in that way of walking the Red Road, in accordance with my Native ancestry, I am also in the traditional Native American sense what they call a pipe carrier. So I... A very long story cut short, I, I received a very, very old traditional Native American pipe um, that eventually I, through my own destiny, fate, or karma, became the caretaker of, and that launched me into learning about that, you know, those ways and that culture, and that became the foundation of my spiritual journey through life. So on, on both sides, I had the pipe coming at me and involved. And I was meant to be a pipe man, what we call a pipe man. And um, it became, you know, my uh, part of my culture, part of my spiritual practice, and part of my livelihood. That's absolutely yeah, amazing, wonderful, and beautiful all at the same time. <laughs> Thank you. You know, yeah, I, I could write a book about all my journeys, you know. It's, uh, I, none of these things were of my choosing, you know. Um, the, you, you can't choose life. These things in life choose you. So um, I think just the secret is paying attention and surrendering to them when they happen and trusting in them. Um, I, I kept, you know, from there I've... That's been, like I said, 25 years I've walked that road. And in some way, I'll always be on that road because it's a connection to culture. And 
in some, you know, in identity. But the farther I've gotten, I've studied, uh, you know, Hinduism, which is a huge pantheon of of spirituality, and they even have a smoking rite uh, there, which they call the chillum pipe, and ascetics smoke that chillum for prayer and, and ceremony. Um, so, you know, the, the pipe is a very deep thing. It's a very old thing. No one really knows how far it goes back. And to be a pipe carrier, to be a pipe maker, in that sense, um, is a strong connection to some to the earth and to spirit and um well hence anima pipes in the beginning i used to put a red pipe stone we call pipe stone it's the red stone that native american pipes are most of them are made of um there are other stone pipes however made from other stones but pipe stone is the most common one that you see it's a red stone and for many years, my bit logo on my bits was a red pipestone dot uh, to identify and distinguish my pipes. I no longer do that for personal reasons. I, I I decide to stop doing bit logos altogether, so I don't even do the red pipestone dot on my pipes anymore. But uh, that's that's that. <laughs> yeah. Well, at, this, at this point, yeah, I'm not. I, at this point, I don't consider myself anything. You know, I, I make pipes, I enjoy it, I put heart and soul and passion into it. I can't always say that. There was a period of several years where I fell out of love with making pipes for a little while and disappeared from the scene, and there was a lot of talk and gossip. I stopped altogether, which I did not. And when I came back out into the world, so to speak, and back into the pipe community, man, I noticed things had changed. The price of pipes was astronomically high. Yeah. You know, Briar wasn't as, you know, didn't seem as good or as readily available. All of a sudden, from when I started 16 years ago, I was one of very few American carvers. There was very few. Now there's a ton of them, all these young guys out there. And, you know, they're extremely talented. They're making pieces of art. You know, but they're also charging $800 for their pipes, you know. You can still get one of my pipes for 200 bucks. I want I want the blue-collar working man to to smoke a handmade pipe, too, you know. So I have a wide range. Or you can get a $40 uh, bamboo pipe. You can get a $40 bamboo pipe if you don't want to spend $100 for your first pipe and you don't want to smoke a corn cob, which will eventually burn out, and you just want to experience pipe smoking. A forty-dollar bamboo pipe, which will last you ten years or more if you smoke it properly, and it won't burn out, and they taste delicious. <laughs> we will uh, wrap this up with the fast five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. So, are you ready? Okay. What is your favorite pipe? The one that I'm smoking. And what is your favorite it, tobacco? It, my favorite tobacco, gosh, hard to say right now. There are many, and have been many. I, as I mentioned, I enjoy I enjoy uh, English and Balkans, anything with Latakia. Uh, my favorite tobacco is free, one that someone gave to me, <laughs> or one that someone has shared with me that I didn't know existed and discovered something new. What's your favorite drink? 
drink. I don't know. I, I don't think I really have a favorite drink, except to say that I really enjoy a very good cup of coffee while I'm smoking my pipes. I think coffee and, and pipe smoking go together perfectly. I agree. Uh, when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Um, I think it's a tie between music, a book, and or just silent meditation and contemplation. But above all that, I enjoy smoking in, in the company of good friends. And last question, do you have a particularly favorite pipe-smoking memory? Hmm. Yes. When I was a little kid and my dad would get out one of his pipes. He had a blue pipe that my mother had gifted him. Very <laughs> cheap pipe, but it was this very light-colored blue. Probably, you know, one of those drugstore pipes. And he used to sit on the back patio smoking his pipe. And I used to sit with him and watch him smoking his pipe. And every day when I'd get home from school and he'd get home from work, I would say, smoke your blue pipe, Dad. Take it outside and smoke your blue pipe. I want to sit and watch you smoke your blue pipe. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Brian, thank you very much. And again, if you want to find out more about Brian's Pipes and Anima Pipes, Google search them, and that first website with the really long extension is the one that will come up. Yes. <laughs> hey, thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate uh, the time. And uh, if anybody wants a, a really good handmade pipe, please give me a call or an email, and I'll be happy to work with you to create something special. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. It's Saturday morning at the crack of dawn. The cool chill of night still clings to the air as the sun slowly rises over the misty surface of the lake. You've waited all week for just this moment. You know that today is going to be epic. Everything is here to ensure perfection. From the nice full cooler packed with your favorite suds to the other empty one, waiting to be filled with piles of freshly caught fish. Reaching into your pocket, you pull out your trusty briar and fill it with your favorite tobacco, aptly named Great Outdoors. It is the perfect smoke for moments like these. A strike, a flash, and your tobacco is lit. As the delicious mixture ignites and swirls over your tongue and the deep, rich burleys with a hint of sweet Virginia dance in your mouth, you smile. Casting your first line into the water, the slowly widening ripples begin to stir as you feel the first bite of the day tug at your line. Now you know it truly is going to be a good day and a perfect time to enjoy the simple yet unmatchable pleasures of the Great Outdoors. Great Outdoors is another fine quality pipe tobacco manufactured by Sutliff, America's oldest tobacco company, and is available at fine tobacconists everywhere. Enjoy your perfect day by purchasing a tin today. 
Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, talk about a fascinating guy to hang out with. Can't wait to spend more time chatting with Brian. All right, let's do a little bit of a uh, pipe smoking cruise update. We've narrowed down the dates, September 5th or September 12th out of Miami or Fort Lauderdale. I need to get 16 cabins booked with uh, two people per cabin. If we can get the 16 people booked, then we'll get a bunch of freebies thrown in and some onboard credits and stuff. And again, it's a seven-day cruise on Carnival out of uh, either Miami or Fort Lauderdale, probably going to the Western Caribbean. Each day we'll get together for a couple hours and hold a little uh, mini pipe club meeting and we'll have samples and stuff to look at and show and tell time. And then each night we, you can or can't, if you want to, join us for dinner and the entire cruise ship will be yours and we'll hit four different ports during the time. So if you're interested in going on the cruise, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. No commitments yet, just let me know if you're interested. Looks like the cost will be about uh, $529 per person, depending on the cabin that you pick out. And uh, with port taxes and fees and tips and everything, about 700 bucks for the week. So not a bad price, and I've done it before, and it's a lot of fun. All right, for music tonight, uh, thought I'd go back to a little bit of jazz, a little bit of blues, a little bit of uh, Dizzy Gillespie doing Boppin' the Blues. Uh, hope you enjoy it.
Dizzy sure knew how to blow a trumpet, and in his earlier days, he also smoked a pipe. Check your mailbox, you moron! All right, in the mailbag, uh, going back a few weeks, got an email from Jason Brown, and Jason writes, Brian, you and I share the wonderful, exhausting time of the year called marching band season. It starts for us this weekend and will be a thrill ride till November. We love our band here in Williamstown, Kentucky, as much as I'm sure you love yours. Give a shout-out, if you like, for the Williamstown Band of Spirit. So, uh, those of you in the Williamstown Band of Spirit that are over the age of 18, here's a shout-out for you. Uh, If you go on to uh, YouTube, or if you just Google search Williamstown Band of Spirit, you will see some of their performances, and uh, quite an impressive band. Uh, my daughter's band, the Spirit of Coxmill. Google search Coxmill High School Marching Band or Coxmill High School Band, and you'll find a bunch of performances on YouTube. Last Friday, went to a football game. It was the senior night for marching band members, and my daughter is a senior. It was her last home football game that she'll be playing at because of competition schedules. No, marching band season is not over, and fall weather means uh, more marching band season coming up every weekend. All right, going back to uh, last week in the mailbag, there was a post on uh, PipesMagazine.com going around about snuff. And uh, Mother Nature Will Eat Us All for Breakfast says, Have you ever considered doing a piece on snuff for the radio show? Um, I think if you go back to the second Fred Hanna visit, Fred covered snuff better than I could. On top of that, we're trying to work on getting uh, getting a time with Bob Gregory of Samuel Goweth on, and I'm sure we'll talk to him about snuff. I am in no way an expert on snuff, and that is uh, my opinion, which I am the leading expert on. In uh, John Seiler says, in response to last week's show... Hi, Brian. Carl Eric makes some nice pipes that are available on the estate market at a decent price. Louise is one of the most prominent lady pipe smokers in the hobby. I've had the pleasure to know her for quite a while now. Her Dunhill collection of pipes and other materials is outstanding. Even though the Hermit tobaccos are English style with strong Latakia content, I will smoke one occasionally when in the right mood with the right people. Now, if only she would come out with a great Virginia blend. Hey, maybe she's working on that. Anyway, uh, John goes on to say, I remember the Dunhill display at Richmond. It was out of this world. I also remember the hurricane at the Richmond Corps show. Sounds like you had a nice trip west. You are fortunate to have such long-lived relatives. You and your family's history with Disney is also such a great memory. I like the music selection. Rant, I want a horn that is easily accessible and gets the job done so someone either moves, stops, or get out of the way. Uh, great show. Love the interview. Thank you, John. Dino wrote, What a thoroughly delightful conversation with Louise. Coincidentally, just before I tuned into the show, I was smoking a GBD Militaire Prince that I bought from Jay and Louise at the 2001 Chicago show at the Indian Lakes Resort. A great smoker. I really enjoyed the music selection, well-chosen, Brian, and a very sweet story of your visit with Grandma. May God continue to bless her. Happy trails, Dino. And uh, Riff Raff writes, Now a run on Carl Eric Pipes is imminent. (laughs) I I don't think so, but... uh, 
They are some beautiful pipes and another addition to the pipe acquisition disorder list of must-haves. The interview with Louise was great. Pipe smoker, collector, and tobacco blender. She hits the trifecta listening uh, she hits the trifecta. Listening to interviews like this just reminds me of how much I don't know about our hobby. Hermit tobaccos are also on my list. Those Art Deco pipes are intriguing. It is amazing the amount of jar, uh, the amount of jars Alfred Dunhill had his hands in. I love the music by Taylor Davis. I was picturing moments in the movie as it played. Bravo. So political correctness is now coming to our car horns. God help us. Well, I I just want a little bit politer car horn. And lastly, Nola Cajun writes, Brian, what a great find. Miss Davis is wonderfully talented. I really enjoyed the piece you played of hers. I went to iTunes and downloaded a couple of her albums. They are fantastic. I especially enjoyed her movie music, gaming fantasy, and Christmas albums. These are great tunes to relax to with a pipe. Glad you enjoyed them. I enjoyed them as well, just sitting and listening to them. Uh, the other thing that I really liked was her personal story of being uh, being picked on and bullied for being a gamer but and a musician at the same time, but also she just enjoys gaming and music, so she found a way to combine both of them together. All right, in just a minute, special rant time. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. Eck, I wish I had a genie who could make it easy to order pipes and tobaccos online. You don't need a genie, sir. Visit Fullnoggins.com. They stock all your favorite pipes and tobaccos, and every order gets fast personal attention. Orders are packed carefully and shipped quickly by priority mail. Fullnoggins.com. Fornoggins.com. I can still see you, you know. A bit rusty, sir. Fornoggins.com. If your pipe collection is the first thing you grab in a house fire, you might be a pipe collector. Cowboy. Cowboy. Take this time normally saved for a rant and rave about Walmart. Why do I want to rave about Walmart? Well, go ahead and ask me. Why do I want to rave about Walmart? 
because Walmart nationally distributed an independent movie called As Dreamers Do. As Dreamers Do is directed by Logan Sekulow, and it's the story of Walt Disney from early childhood, three or four years old, all the way to bankruptcy in Kansas City and his decision to move to Hollywood. It's a beautifully done, small-budget, independent film that was shot in about three weeks in Nashville with a bunch of independent uh, independent stars and luckily caught the attention of Travis Tritt, yes, the country music star, as the narrator. Travis does a wonderful job. The movie doesn't sugarcoat any issues that Walt had growing up. It talks about death. It talks about his relationship with his father. It talks about how Walt wanted to go back to the farm days, but yet was taken to Kansas City and dealing with illness. It talks about Walt going through all the struggles and bankruptcy and not having enough money to finish a project. But it handles it all. It handles it all very well, and it handles it all in a family situation that you can all watch. And it's a story that also envelops a couple of legends in it that may or may not exactly be true, but they've been heard over and over again, so they touch on some of those legends like the mouse that lived in the Laughagram Studios building. Yes, the same studio building that, or the same building that I brought a brick home from uh, Kansas City in. If you get a chance, you can go to their website, which is waltmovie.com, W-A-L-T movie.com. It's available for download directly from the website, or thanks to Walmart, it's available nationally on DVD for, I bought mine for $12.99. And it's just a beautifully done hour and a half movie that tells a simple story done simply and done simply well. All right. There you go. Uh, listen, later on, a couple days, I'm heading up to Richmond. Hope to see you all at the Conclave of Richmond Pipe Smokers, the core show. I'll be there Friday evening for the dinner, all day Saturday and Sunday. Next Tuesday, we'll report back on uh, what went on at the show. And uh, if you're heading to Vegas in November, I'll see you there at the West Coast Pipe Show. In the meantime, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for leaving feedbacks, ratings, and reviews wherever you listen to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. If you've replaced the pictures on your wall of your kids with pictures of your pipes, you might be a pipe collector.